0: In this podcast, Dov Zuckheim covers a broad range of topics focusing on the need for strong support to Ukraine, at least until the end of the current fiscal year in the United States in September 2023. Issues discussed include cohesion of NATO, the importance of Swedish and Finnish accession to NATO soon the likelihood that Putin will seek to reconstitute Russian capabilities during a war of attrition, perhaps lasting several years, hoping for a better situation on the part of Putin, perhaps after a Trump return to the White House, that the use of nuclear weapons or direct military attacks against NATO territory remains less likely. Dav Zakheim is a corresponding member of the Swedish Royal Academy of War Sciences since 2011 and a former writer, businessman and politician. He is a particularly valuable member of the academy given his focus on lessons learned. In his case, closely related to his service in the Reagan and George W. Bush administrations, in the latter case as Undersecretary of Defence. He took the unprecedented step for a Republican to sign up to a statement in 2020, supporting Joe Biden for president, arguing that President Trump was unfit to serve another term. He has written hundreds of articles and a number of books, including A Vulcan's Tale, discussing missed opportunities and struggles to manage two wars, particularly the seemingly endless conflict in Afghanistan. In this podcast, he appears in a discussion together with Michael Salin, also a former state secretary for defense in Sweden in the early 90s, and myself, Lars-Erik Lundin, working closely together with Michael on several recent books focusing on Swedish and European security policy, including in the southern dimension and the Russian war against Ukraine. Most Michael and I have a background as diplomats and political scientists, associated in alia with Cypri, the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. In the following clip, Dove takes as his point of departure the cohesion of NATO, which following the Russian aggression is stronger than during several decades. The same applies to the EU. He argues that if Sweden and Finland will not join NATO, this could be taken as a sign of weakness, a sign of lack of cohesion on the part of NATO, which obviously negatively would affect deterrence. Putin is obviously hoping for something, and that could, in combination with the, possible, with the possible, even if not likely, Trump come back, encourage the current Russian strategy to dig in, in a World War I fashion, and then try to reconstitute Russian capabilities over the next couple of years as did Stalin after Stalingrad. This is, argues Dove, an argument that the Secretary-General of NATO could and should make.
1: One of the things that has been uh, a very positive outcome, uh, not just Sweden and Finland entering NATO, but the cohesion of NATO has been stronger than it's been, oh, I'd say in two decades at least.
2: Same and so... To- same applies
1: to the EU, by the way. Yes. And so, but I don't know that in this case, the, e, the look, the EU can't yeah. play in this because Turkey, <laughs> the EU's been messing Turkey around since mm-hmm. the 60s. But uh, in terms of the cohesion of NATO, Putin has been seeing this. Now, if Sweden and Finland aren't, and maybe this is an argument that can be made at the Biden level. If Sweden and Finland don't come in, that to Putin could be the first indicator that NATO is not as strong as he thought it was. Yeah. Now, why is that important? My view is, and I've been articulating that and I just wrote something about it, I believe that if you look at what's going on in Ukraine, the Russians are digging in, they're putting in trenches, they're, they're base tank traps. What they're doing is preparing to fight a World War I. Why? Because Putin figures in two years, Biden is gone. If Biden is gone, he's hoping Trump is back. After all, right now, we only have one candidate for the Republicans and it's a guy named Donald Trump. Now, do I think Trump will get the nomination? Personally, I don't, but that depends on who's against him. that's That's what I'm hoping, but who's a very different character completely. But if you're Putin, and you're already cornered, which you are in a corner, you're hoping for something. Well, your hope is Trump is back. So you dig in for two years. And one other thing to remember, and of course, Europeans remember this far better than Americans. In 1941, in in September of 41, the Nazis were at the door of Stalingrad. Three and a half years later, the Soviets are inside Berlin. The Russians can reconstitute. This idea that it's going to, that because of embargoes and sanctions and all this, that it'll take them a decade is nonsense. The Russians reconstituted when they were in much worse shape. And so, again, Putin knows this. Putin knows the history. And so, for him, waiting it out for two more years while he reconstitutes and in the hope. Of a, of a Trump coming back, that's a strategy. Now, if you add on top of that, Finland and Sweden not coming, maybe you won't come in for two years. What does that tell them about NATO cohesion? And then all it takes is, you know, the Germans saying this is too much for us or, or two bad winters or whatever. And Putin feels, you know, he's he's still gonna win. So mm. in a, in a sense, not having Sweden and Finland come in relatively soon further increases in Putin's mind yeah. the sense that you know at the end of the day he's going to win out and I think that's an argument that needs to be made and oh by the way that's a great argument that Stoltenberg can make as the Secretary General of NATO. It's so
2: so great an argument that it's surprising that it hasn't been made already and. And forcefully, because it's so obvious, at least to me, that this is a well, that's the the great
1: It's the problem with things that are obvious.
2: Yeah. In the second clip,
0: I refer to Dove's writings about the lack of clarity in his view of the US national security strategy and lack of clarity when it comes to its approach to Ukraine integration into Euro-Atlantic structures. Against this background, I refer back to an earlier podcast about escalation risks made by Michael and myself. Also in Sweden, (coughs) we should brace ourselves for the need for crisis management during 2003. Um, You are on record in some of your contributions to worry about the lack of um, clarity of the security strategies in the U.S. and the defense and, and everything that follows that it isn't clear enough in terms of deterrence, and you're also on record for us uh, in the West not being clear enough about our intentions about Ukraine. You think one should uh, send the signal that Ukraine should get into NATO and so on. We have on our side, Michael and I, just uh, uh, try to speculate about when you talk about uh, escalation. Uh, we heard this uh, Stoltenberg worry about escalation. Our commander in chief has also worried about escalation. So we did a podcast about that, trying to to point to um, uh, the uh, the many dimensions of escalation. We are what we are trying to to say is that a lot of things could happen during next year that would perhaps. Merit the type of press conferences that we have right now in the Swedish government. We had one yesterday, saying that uh, we were very close to a uh, energy uh, crisis in Sweden the other day when we we had to import equivalent of three nuclear power plants of energy from the. We were almost at the limit that we had to start rationing, and so a lot of things could happen with cyber, with water, with energy, with the. Uh, electricity with uh, with uh, um, terrorist attacks uh, what have you inside the country so we have to brace ourselves and get into a crisis mode in the way we have we were in a crisis mode during the pandemic and we were man- managing to to mobilize the country and the population to suffer quite a lot of, uh, of inconveniences so to say uh, so one has to square this picture of Digging into the trenches in the First World War situation for another two years, uh, with the possibility that even during that period, we could experience very unpleasant things. Uh, The Finns are, of course, relatively convinced for the time being that the the ground presence of uh, Russian forces has been greatly reduced along the Finnish uh, uh, frontier, of course. But there are so many other things that could happen, that merit, you know, vigilance on our side. We are, of course, arguing, and that is natural, That is a Swedish and a Finnish argument, that already the fact that we have applied for membership in NATO and that this has been welcomed by, through bilateral assurances of support from the Brits and from the U.S. and others who are very important to us has put us in a much better position then and that we are working uh, full steam ahead to try to get us interoperable with, and we are starting to understand better what it means to be interoperable and integrated into NATO structure once once that is happening. But it's not an optimal situation, as you just said. It's it, We are sort of in, and we don't want to give Putin ideas, of course. Uh, and we don't think that he, we, we are, I think, what I hear from our military colleagues, uh, particularly the Air Force people, is a certain sense of confidence that we have a good Air Force situation, potentially, perhaps already now, but uh, certainly in a in a medium-term perspective. We have a good, we have effort, 35s all around. We have a, a, a very interoperable system in Sweden. In the north, yeah, in the, the north, exactly. yeah. So So, but, I mean... I think it's important to visualize the things that could happen during this World War, <laughs> First World War period, you know, drawn out possible period. Because I, I certainly believe that what you have said is also uh, the sense of our Soviet oldies, uh, the people who have studied the past, uh, that, that this is a country which always seemed to have reserves. <laughs> Mm. There is sure. always some reserves left in the Russian system, and they are uh, they are able to come back. So sometimes we overestimate them, as we did at the end of the Cold War, and as we did uh, before the twenty uh, fourth of February. But sometimes we seriously underestimate the ability of the Russian people to take a, a beating, you know, a, heavy, a long protracted suffering in order to do something, which say in the end, perhaps believe that they have to do. In the next clip, Dove concurs with this forecast that there will be pressures on Finland and Sweden as long as they are not formally admitted to NATO. The Russians may be weaker, close to Nordic borders, but they have other means.
1: So, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. <coughs> you know, my, my concern is that um, you, there will be pressures on Sweden and Finland. The longer that Sweden and Finland are not in NATO, the more of a target you are for special Russian pressures. And it's true that they've moved troops from uh, facing Finland to back down to Ukraine. And they have a a problem with their troops generally. I mean, that's why they're recruiting all these fresh, raw young men. And now they're checking homes and doing all kinds of things. Mm. But they have other means, as you say.
0: Here, Dove points to the fact that Sweden and Finland do not have a nuclear umbrella. Sweden had such a nuclear umbrella even in the 70s, but it's not clear that it exists today, and even less so uh, for Finland. This increases vulnerability. Quoting Churchill, saying to the Americans that the European disease may spread to the United States Weakness in the North can spread to the South and to the West. That is why NATO is united now.
1: And the longer that this hiatus persists, where Putin knows that you're coming in, but you haven't come in, that gives him an opportunity. Because at the end of the day, one of the big things about coming into NATO is the nuclear umbrella. And you don't have a formal nuclear umbrella until you're in. And that already opens you to pressures that might not otherwise be taking place. Now, you know, years ago, I gave an interview to Dagens Vieter about the uh, nuclear umbrella that we offered, that we gave uh, actually Olaf Palma while he was busy attacking us um, Mm -hmm. over Vietnam. But it's not clear that you've got that nuclear umbrella today. And And, therefore, and and certainly Finland doesn't have it. Finland never had it. And so Putin knows that. And the longer this thing drags on, the more vulnerable you are to the kinds of things you're talking about. Cyber, terrorism, whatever it might be. I mean, he's got, look, the FSB has a big bag of tricks. They've always had a bag of tricks and it could be very bad indeed. So that's, in in fact, another reason beyond what I was saying earlier uh, that it's imperative because if he's successful in doing some things to undermine Finnish uh, cohesion, Swedish cohesion, it's not going to stop there, Mm. you know. Churchill gave, again, I've, I've, I've quoted this. Churchill, when he gave that famous speech in December of 1941, after we were hit by Pearl Harbor, he, he gave a speech to the Joint Session of Congress like uh, Zelensky did last night. And he, one of the things he said to the Americans, to us, to Congress, was, look, you can have the disease that starts in Europe, but eventually it'll get to you. Because it always does. And the same applies. The disease, if mm. if Putin tries to inject some kind of disease into Sweden and Finland, mm. it's not going to stop with Sweden and Finland. Everybody knows it won't. That's why NATO is united now. And so again, a lack of a perceived lack of cohesion, a perception in Moscow that the cohesion is falling in part. Mm invites the disease, not just in Sweden and Finland.
0: Against this background, Michael draws the conclusion that NATO accession issue needs to be resolved at the latest in March. At the same time, Sweden and Finland cannot do more in terms of concessions.
2: While we, whereas we and Finland, but especially we were quite concerned uh, back in May, June, at the risk of being stuck in this uh, hiatus, as you say, between our decision being formally formalized and acceptance of NATO ratification, uh, there has been more uh, more relaxed uh, attitude to this now compared to then. Uh, not because of, of uh, simply um, accepting the fact that it had been dragging on. Uh, although Stoltenberg keeps saying that, but this is faster than any of the uh, earlier enlargement step. Well, that's not a big thing to say because, of, of course, it, it should be quicker. We are so ready uh, in all respects, uh, as we know. But uh, there, it's also the fact that the things that Putin said uh, uh, last summer, let's say, uh, surprising some that he wasn't more angry about this step. Uh, somehow, just uh, shrugging and saying that, yeah. Uh, and this, to the extent that anyone takes that as some kind of, if not guaranteed, then at least a, a measurement of, it's not so dangerous after all. I think it's a big risk of, of overstating or overinterpreting the fact that he wasn't more sort of uh, upbeat about this. Because he has a, uh, he sees long lines and he will, uh, he will, he will show his teeth when, when he's ready for that and we should prepare for that. So, whatever you have been, all the things that you have been saying combined and what Shape was saying convinces me now that it would be imperative to see to it that this thing is solved in March at the latest, lest it risk dragging on for a long time and then it's completely unacceptable from a NATO point of view. And what it takes to achieve that. But timing is, uh, is of essence here. But I, I really think that uh, if, if it takes longer than that, then uh, you, you are facing exactly the risk that you are talking about now. And, um, and uh, then the question becomes so, what need, we cannot do more by way of concessions?
0: Mike, and then puts a question about the risk of escalation. Dov's response initially by saying that he's much less worried about escalation to World War III. A number of red lines in this regard have not led to escalation to the NATO-Russia level. Western capabilities to respond, both on the nuclear level and in terms of cyber, are at least as strong as Russia's. Putin does not survive a conflict with NATO. Key issue: Whether Biden and Congress can push through a big enough support package to Ukraine, including tanks, etc. As it looks now, there should be money coming to Ukraine for etc. As it looks now, there should be money coming to Ukraine for months to the end of the current fiscal year.
2: Step by step, uh, action reaction: Are we proceeding towards uh, NATO openly clashing? not just by way of proxy, but more openly, as Stoltenberg and others have warned in, in recent days. I mean, we talk about the First World War kind of struggle, but we are also taking, talking about the risk of World War 3 aren't we? So where do you sense that we are in those terms?
1: Well, I, I, I'm much less worried about uh, a, a World War III. A couple of reasons. First, do you recall when we were saying more than anyone else, oh, if Ukraine hits inside Russia, there'll be World War III. Well, guess what? They've hit, it, Russia considers Crimea part of Russia, and it's not only Crimea that's being hit. No World War III. We said, oh, if we transfer HIMARS to the Ukrainians, God, that could bring on World War III. No World War III. We're not sending all that many patriots, sending one battery. We should be sending a lot more than that, by the way. And, oh, by the way, the Germans have patriots, too, and they could ship them. I don't think there'll be a World War III over that. <clears throat> I don't think there'll be a World War III over tanks. One of the reasons I say that is Putin knows that if he does anything with NATO, he risks a nuclear war himself. Does he preempt with a nuclear weapon? I don't know that he gets away with that. And look, without going into any kind of detail, he knows we have a capability at least as good as his when it comes to cyber. Look what he did to the Iranians with Stuxnet. And how many years ago is that now? So if his whole, ob- he's got two objectives. Objective number one is to defeat Ukraine and win it all back. Objective number two is actually more important to him than objective number one, which is to survive. He doesn't survive a World War III. He doesn't survive a conflict with NATO. So I think this worry may be overstated, seriously overstated. And if we, and I'm firmly of the view that if we had listened to Zelensky in March of this year and shipped Patriots then and shipped Timars then, I don't know that this war would still be going on. So what did he ask for last night? He specifically asked for tanks and aircraft, which he's asked for before. And he made a very pointed statement. He said our people don't need to that long to be trained on these things. Because that's been the argument. Oh, it'll take them two months. Well, if we'd shipped tanks two months ago, they'd have them now. So the real issue isn't, in my view, World War III. The real issue, in my view, is can Congress and Biden push through a big enough financial support? You know, right now, the, there's an appropriation that is, if it's passed, which it should, uh, we'll give them another $45 billion. That's going to spend out over, I don't know, I think till May or June. Maybe maybe not June, but certainly April, May. So they'll have enough coming in for the next five months. But hes they're still going to need more. And you've got these 30 isolationist Republicans in the House who could force the Speaker, probably McCarthy, but we don't know that because... Plus of them, we don't know if he'll get it, who could force the Speaker to refuse to give any money or minimal money to Ukraine. What folk, people need to understand, though, is whenever the House says one thing and the Senate says another thing, they have to have what's called a conference. And one side gives in to the other, or they negotiate in the middle. The people who will be on the conference for anything to do with armed services tend to be the most moderate Republicans from the House. The Senate side, we know, will support Ukraine without a question. Mm-hmm. So when they have the conference, Ukraine will get money, maybe not 100% of the money that the Senate might give, but probably I would guess even more than 50%. So there'll be more money coming. That's my sense of it. So I can be wrong, you know, who knows. But right now, as I see it, there should be money coming to support Ukraine, certainly through the end of our fiscal year, which is next September 30th.
0: Dav then points to the fact that there are NATO troops posted to the Baltic states. Putin, can, therefore, cannot afford escalation in that direction. Putin is not delusional in his view.
1: mean by escalation? If yeah. he escalates against NATO, say with cyber, he runs the same risk. Yeah. Okay. If he doesn't have the wherewithal, the troops to actually move, I would say, even into the Baltics. And if he does try that, remember, you know, we, the Canadians, the Germans, <laughs> you know, we've got troops there. What's yeah. it going to do? Start shooting Americans, Germans, and Canadians, and so on? It's not going to have a French. So, what else could he do? He's doing everything thing he can to totally destroy Ukraine, to turn Ukraine into Grozny. He's already doing that. Mm. so okay. to me, the only escalation is some kind of nuclear activity, and I don't think he'll do it. He's actually said he wouldn't because well, one thing about Putin, I don't think he's delusional, and I don't think he's stupid. He's living in a in a in a world that isn't doesn't give him full information because his people won't. But that's not delusional. That's a little different. He's, not, mm-hmm. and he's certainly not stupid. If mm-hmm. he was stupid, he never would have gotten to where he got. So I, I really do believe him that he's not going to go nuclear. Um, I don't believe him when he brushes off Sweden and Finland and says, oh, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. That, I think, was more to uh, relax everybody, and have people focus on other things, quite frankly. Um, So the issue to me is, does Congress come through with the money? Because clearly that's what Zelensky needs. And does the administration come through with, with heavy armor? I'm not talking about aircraft. Aircraft is much harder. But with heavy armor. Which he's also asked for and which they could train for. And to me, and again, I've written this and I don't know if it'll be published, but that's much more important than all these congressmen and senators standing up and applauding him. Mm-hmm. Applause doesn't win you anything on the battleground.
0: I then refer to the intimate knowledge of the areas close to St. Petersburg, Leningrad, already on the part of Stalin, and now certainly also Of who comes from Leningrad, for him, the Finnish accession clearly constitutes a major geopolitical change. On the nuclear issue, uh, Russia also has to take into account uh, the risk of losing deterrence effect if um, sub-strategic nuclear weapons are put to use in Ukraine. The result should be a much greater Western. on the issue of Sweden and Finland, uh, you know, I was posted to Finland in the early 80s. So I was sort of, had a lot of lonely evenings to study uh, and read uh, in, uh, Finnish literature. And what impressed me most perhaps was the in- intimate knowledge with Finnish geography that Stalin had. yes. And now we have a president in Kremlin who has been posted not only to, to Germany, but also, importantly, comes from Leningrad. Yes. For him, this is an important part of the world. I think exactly like you, that he is not, uh, not dismissing the importance of this geopolitical change. Because he also sees, perhaps a little bit into the future, what, what could happen in this rather long border district to Russia. Uh, in, if you measure in Europe as a whole, almost the half of Europe from north to south is suddenly becoming a uh, direct uh, border to, to Russia. So that's the one thing. The other thing with the nuclear uh, weapons, what? What I thought, having you know, tried to understand a little bit more about nuclear things when I did the study for the Swedish government on the, uh, on the uh, treaty, on the prohibition, was that once you use nuclear weapons on the tactical level uh, or the sub-strategic level, then you lose something very important. You lose this sort of the, the sense of um, that this is the, en- the doom the doom you lose some of the deterrence effect, and at the same time, I would assume that you solidify, you you sort of, you create a steel wall on the NATO side, and that the, then really coherence and and and, 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 and uh, mm-hmm. unity is solidified, and you would also uh, give a strong adrenaline kick to the Chinese and Indian leadership. You know, what's going on here is everything we are doing in trying to, to influence through uh, commercial and other uh, you know uh, policies to, to the belt and road policies. All of that will be lost if we have a nuclear situation. So I don't know what you say about these two.
1: Well, I agree with you on the, on the second point. I would simply add to your first point. Uh, <clears throat> look, Turkey also has a long border with Russia um the the real the thing about uh and, and you're absolutely right about Putin's uh somewhat obsession with uh, the north look, who's this hero? Peter the Great? Hmm. What did Peter the Great do? Peter the Great was the one who essentially created St Petersburg into a major city yeah. Peter the Great was the one who was who began the movement to create the Baltic Sea as a Russian state, as a Russian sea. And, and this is his hero. Hmm. And so, uh, and of course, you know, uh, I'm sure you know that he took the uh, archives out from under the Ministry of Culture and put it in the presidential office. And he was, he's been obsessed with all these Russian agreements and treaties and so on. This is what he wants to restore. But if you're focusing on Peter the Great and not on the Czars who, you know, took over Kazakhstan or something, that tells you where he's really looking. So I totally agree with you on that. His focus is going to be that po- your part of the world.
0: I know. If and you oh, think- by the
1: way, they, yeah. you know, when did Sweden stop fighting when it fought with Russia? So you know.
0: Oh no, no I, 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 I mean the the fact that we haven't had a war in Sweden in for 200 years, doesn't mean that we couldn't come back with uh, having a considerable defense uh, Absolutely. Uh, The second point uh, is, in this context, just to finish, uh, Michael, this small sort of excursion, uh, is that there is a link between the two, for me. And that is the historical memory of Leningrad being in rubble being destroyed during the Second World War. So having a nuclear sub-strategic exchange, which uh, is not too far from St. Petersburg, I think would be a very unpleasant
1: thought for. No, I agree. I don't think he's going to do it. But yeah. I, I, I do think that, <clears throat> as you say, um, he's obsessed, if he's obsessed at all, let's put it this way, he's obsessed with restoring mm. uh, you know he doesn't talk about stalin he talks about peter the great mm. and so that's what he wants to restore this kind of, this russian empire mm. you know, know and 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 the soviet union collapse he says it's the worst thing that happened in the 20th century i think he sees it not as the soviet union collapsing but as the russian empire collapsing Mm. And that's what he wants to restore. And, frankly, if I were living in Sweden and Finland, I'd be nervous. Very nervous.
2: If you were living in Estonia, would you be nervous too?
1: No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) The only difference, and this is why it's so important to get you and the Finns in, is Estonia and, and the Baltic states, small as they are.
2: Yeah.
1: They've got uh, NATO troops in them. I'm not saying you need the NATO troops, but they're so small they do need the NATO troops. They've got this new Polish brigade that's clearly geared, the American brigade in Poland, I should say, clearly geared to operations in the Baltic states. And they've got the nuclear umbrella.
2: Mm. And some tripwire additions.
1: That's what I said, tripwires. Yeah, I said American that. American okay. troops so on. So <laughs> it's important that you may not need the tripwire. Uh, as Lashek just said, you guys have a pretty strong military and you're strengthening it even more. Um, the Finns, they seem to be able to handle themselves pretty well. Mm. Uh, you've got the Nordic cooperation. You're You're getting tighter with Norway, tighter a little bit with the Danes. So that's good. You don't need... You don't need what the Baltics need on the ground, necessarily. One of the things that Putin has to have noticed is that the Marines are doing more and more exercises in the Baltic. And uh, I've spoken to the Commandant of the Marine Corps about this and to Mm -hmm. the Chief of Naval Operations. Um, That's going to continue. There are going to be more exercises with your forces. uh, There'll be, obviously that is a threat to Kaliningrad right there. Uh, so um, we know that it's bristling with missiles and all that, but they're not gonna make it. <laughs>